this point in the service, I would ask you, that if you have a Bible in front of you, I would invite you to turn to it and to that portion of Scripture that we read earlier on in James chapter 3. James chapter 3. Okay, for years and years, in fact, probably for decades, the negative effects of passive smoking weren't really fully understood or appreciated. You know, people knew that if you were the smoker, you know, people knew that, you, you know, you were doing yourself some harm if you were the, the smoker. But for passive smokers, for, for people who were exposed to second-hand smoke, well, the risks weren't fully known or appreciated. In fact, it really wasn't, I don't think, until maybe the turn of the century and uh, to about 2001-2002 where um, some studies took place that the significant threat of second-hand smoke was, was, was fully realized and appreciated. Okay. Fine. Why am I talking about passive smoking? I'll tell you. For a very long time, passive smoking was a destructive force that kind of flew under the radar. Passive smoking was a kind of misjudged threat. And friends, that is what we've got under the microscope tonight. That's what we've got in front of us in that portion of scripture that we read together in James chapter 3. Because tonight, God brings to our, our attention an underestimated danger you see? An underestimated danger that causes real harm to his church. What we're considering tonight is the underestimated danger of how you and how I speak. So I'm going to do something slightly different just now as we begin our sermon. What I'm going to do is I'm going to give you, from the very beginning, the main theme. I'm going to give you the main point, the main thrust of what James is saying here. And then from that, from that main thrust, we'll look at four points from it. So this is the main theme. Please catch this if you catch anything tonight. And get this. In this passage of scripture, we learn that it is of utmost importance for professing Christians, for believers, to guard our speech at all times and in every circumstance. You got it? That's our main thrust. It is of utmost importance for professing Christians, for us, to guard what we say at all times and in all circumstances. So, that said, let's dig a wee bit deeper and let's look at four things. First one, ready for it? 
Our words can direct us. Our words can direct us. Right, what becomes clear straight away in this section of scripture is just how well read James, the brother of Jesus, is. This was a well read man. Now, how, how, how do we know this? Well, to make his first point here, what James does is he uses subjects, okay? He uses word pictures, he uses illustrations that were commonplace in the kind of high literature of the time. You know, you're talking about Aristotle and and, and guys like that. James is using the same sorts of illustrations that those guys used. And we see that in verses 3 and 4. Do you see the pictures that he uses in 3 and 4? He uses the pictures of a horse. Horse and a ship. A horse and a ship. So, that's fine. He's familiar with this high fluting literature. But what is he saying by and through these illustrations? Well, the first one's in verse 3, isn't it? He likens the tongue to the bit. I don't know much about horses, but he likens it to the bit that sits in the mouth of a horse. Now, why? Well, his point there isn't so much that that our speech tries to master us. You know, his point's not so much that our speech and the words we say uh, will sort of govern us or rule us. No, the point's more that what we say, what you say, it steers you. He's saying that the words that we use have a directing influence on the path that we take in life. So the message that he's got here, the message to the Christian community that he's writing to, and the message that he's got for us here in this room tonight is simply this. Do you desire, friends, do you desire to grow in grace and spiritual maturity? Do you have that desire? Well, what James is saying here is that if we desire to be steered along a godly life, the the best place to start when we're battling sin, the best place to start is by watching what we say, is by watching our words and controlling our tongue, right? I'll, I'll, I'll read you a quote to sum it up. One, one guy, he says this. If we exercise careful control of the tongue, we will also be able to direct the rest of our lives along a divinely charted course. So that's the horse. A horse. But the second illustration under this first point was what? It was a ship. So what is, what is James saying in this illustration of a, of a ship? Well, in many ways, it's kind of the same thing, isn't it? It's very similar to what he's saying with a horse, but just with a couple of additions here. You see, by mentioning a ship, James doesn't want us to, to underestimate the importance of the tongue. 
And he draws attention to its size, doesn't he? You following me? You see that? He says, a ship might be large, but it's manoeuvred by very small rudder. So also our tongues. The size are very, very small. But they shouldn't be underestimated because our words, your words, they can manipulate and they can direct everything about your life. So we mustn't underestimate the influence of our words. But that's not all. Because what else does he say when he's talking about these ships? What does he mention? You see it in verse 4. He mentions strong winds. Strong winds. Why? Well, friends, James is saying that even in the storms of your life, and even in the midst of violent or or troubled waters, we must watch what we say. We must, even when troubled times come, we must watch our words. Because they can determine whether we respond to these trials in a faithful and a Christ-centered way. Our words can direct us. Now, I realize, I said this this morning, I realize that I have been um, banging on about my holiday quite a, a bit today. And I'm going to do it again, and I feel kind of bad. But uh, I'm just back from a, a few weeks in the south of France. And we were staying in a rural cottage, honestly, in the middle of nowhere. Uh, a jeet, I suppose it's called. And it was set in this huge wooded area. But it also had another a very noticeable feature. And that was that everywhere you turned in this house, honestly, if you, no matter if you opened a cupboard or every room you went into, you were faced with the same thing. And it was a poster. And it was a poster warning you uh, that under no circumstances were you allowed to smoke outside uh, the jeet. I suppose it's the opposite of what we're used to in the UK here. It would be a terrible thing to smoke inside there. They said you cannot smoke outside. And I guess the reason's pretty obvious, isn't it? You know, in the heat and the dryness of Provence, a discarded match or some ash from a cigarette, it could lead to a very significant fire, couldn't it? And really, that's the sort, of, the sort of thing that James has in view in his second point this evening. Because we've seen that our, our words can direct, but we should also see here that our words can damage. Our words can damage. And in verse 5, James's focus shifts. And he moves to the devastation And he moves to the destruction that our ill-considered words can cause. And he speaks of a spark, doesn't he? He speaks 
of a, a spark. Now, why? What is that? What's a spark? Well, a spark is something tiny, isn't it? A spark is something t- minuscule. It's something so small that it, that, that, that it must be insignificant, surely. Well, no. James is saying that a cruel word, just like a spark, it might not seem like much to us, it might seem insignificant, but it's not. A cruel word behind her back over there. Or a false word, or an exaggerated word about him over there. What injury what devastation, what harm that can cause. And what illustration does he use of that harm? He, he says it can create a forest fire. <laughs> a forest fire. Now think of that. Think of the damage that's caused by forest fires. We've seen it recently all over the world. Fires that... Sweep across the landscape, don't they? They burn down houses. They devastate landscapes. Think about the 19 firefighters that died in Arizona. Lives ruined because of the fire. And that, that is the picture that Almighty God uses of the damage that your words and the damage that my words can cause. And it doesn't even end there because James goes further. He he deepens the severity of what he says and he uses, you know, what we've seen are characteristically kind of forceful statements, doesn't he? Look how he enhances it. He says, the tongue corrupts the whole person. It corrupts us. And that word could be translated stain. Our tongue stains us. Do you see what he's saying? Such is the damage that our words can cause. They don't just hurt other people, you know. They don't just devastate the landscape. They stain our Christian character. And they damage our witness for Jesus Christ. The message is that loose speech, evil speech, it comes from, it originates in the fires of hell. That's what he says. Now at this point, I hope... I hope I hear you asking, okay, but what do we do about it? Because, you know, it's one thing for us to sit here and open scripture and, and see what damage our words cause. It's one thing to do that. But it's another thing to resolve to change that. So what do we do? What way should we be, how should we be changing the way we speak? Well, can I ask you, to recall who James is writing to. Do you remember that? If you've been here over the last 
couple of months. You know the answer to that, I'm sure. In this letter, James is writing to the Christian community. He is writing to believers. So I would say to you tonight, we have to watch how we speak in the congregation, and we have to watch how we speak off the congregation. Watch how you speak to the people in the church, and watch how you speak about people in the church. So can I ask you, when you meet with your fellow Christians, what are you talking about? You know, when you meet for a coffee or you go around to each other's houses, what, what matters occupy our conversation? Is it, is it just idle chit-chat always? Is it gossip? Or... Are we talking about spiritual things now and again? You know, are we using our words to try and build each other up? Are we talking about the spiritual problems that we've got? Our spiritual walk? And how do we speak off the congregation? You know, how do we speak about each other? Are we gracious? Are you generous in your attitude and your words to your fellow Christians? Are you? Is there encouragement or is there criticism? Is there praise or is there just complaint? Let's guard our words. You know, let's think about and and, and watch our speech and watch what we say. Why? Because our words can cause great, great damage. Okay, now, you've heard of Siegfried and Roy, have you? Does everyone know who Siegfried and Roy are? Well, they were a famous entertainment duo, I suppose you would call them. And they used uh, magic, and they used wild animals in their show that ran for years in Las Vegas. And if you have heard of Siegfried and Roy... You will also have heard of the disaster that befell Siegfried and Roy. Because one night during the show, I'm sure you have seen this in the news, the tiger, or one of the tigers that they used for that show, it turned. And it turned and attacked one of the duo. And it bit him, grabbed him, and caused the guy uh, some damage. So it was an instance of a partially tamed beast. That's what I want us to see. It was an animal only partially under control of its handlers. And when we, we're moving through the passage here, and when we get to verses 7 and 8, we see a similar picture that James is establishing here. Because in 7 and 8, he writes to say that the tongue is wild. He writes to say that the the tongue is difficult to tame, that it's difficult to control. And that's our third point. You know, we've seen that the tongue can direct us. We've seen that the tongue can damage us. Now, see, third point, our tongue, our words are disorderly. 
They are disorderly. And in verse 7, the NIV translates the word. If your Bibles are open, you'll see it in verse 7. The NIV translates it as creatures, which is fine. But the word really is species. And it's, you know, there's not much in it. But if it was species, we would be able to see that what James has got in mind here is Genesis. That's what he's thinking about. He's thinking about the creation account in Genesis chapter 1. He's saying that in that uh, mandate that God gave man to rule the earth, to subdue the animals, what has man been able to do? Man has been able to some extent or other, man has been able to bring under his control all animals. But not so the tongue. And James, what he does is he brings the word tongue forward in the sentence. And he does that to give it great emphasis. You know, he's saying, okay, you might be able to, to, to have a pet dog or a pet cat. You might even be able to partially tame a tiger. But the tongue? No. The tongue, no man can tame. And again, what does James do? What does James always do? He uses sharp language to make his point. Look at what he says in verse 8 about the tongue. You know, talk about not pulling any punches. And he says in verse 8, he calls the tongue a restless, evil full of deadly poison, a restless evil. What does he mean? Well, can you imagine sitting at one of these um, Siegfried and Roy shows? I couldn't think of anything worse. I would have hated to be there to see this, you know, a tiger on stage without any chains or anything. There'd be a sense of, do you not think there'd be a sense of worry There'd be a sense of anxiety about the whole thing. Here's a tiger, a restless beast, an unpredictable beast. And James is saying it is the same with the tongue. Our tongues are a restless evil at any point, just like that tiger, at any point, our words can turn nasty. And turn destructive. So I'm sure you would agree that this is, you know, when he's talking about wild animals and he's talking about taming the tongue, this is bleak. Do you not agree with that? It's almost a depressing message that James is bringing to us here. You know, and it it almost leads us to ask the question, well, James... If the tongue is that wild, and if it's restless and no man can tame it, why would we bother? Why would we bother trying? Why would we try and tame our words? Well, of course, friends, we should. Because James says no man can tame the tongue. 
But Jesus Christ can. And through the process of sanctification in the Holy Spirit, we can bring our words into line. You know, our words and our speech can become domesticated and they can become disciplined for the glory of God. So I would ask you this. Are you someone who struggles with your speech? You know, are you somebody who has got that sort of idea of restless speech? Are you prone to jumping in and saying nasty things about people? Is that you? Well, if so, I would say pray about that and repent of that. And I would say master the art in prayer. Master the art of biting your tongue. Now, we've all done it, haven't we? Um, We've all sat through a church service like this tonight, and we've come in, we've taken our seat, and we have opened our blue sand books, and we have sang heartily in praise uh, to God. And then when we've left the church, we've almost immediately said something nasty and unkind about someone that we encountered in church. You know, we'll, we'll sing whatever psalm it is, and then we'll walk out the door and we'll say to, the, to our friends or our family, see that woman, see that woman that I was having a cup of tea with? Oh, what a pain. What a pain in the next years. And the hypocrisy of that, the sheer two-faced foolishness of it, is how James ends. See, we've seen that our words can, what, direct and damage. They are disorderly. Our last one, just as we end, our words are duplicitous. They're duplicitous. Our words are hypocritical or two-faced. And in... In verse 9, James speaks out against this attitude. He says this, verse 9, With the tongue we praise our God, and with it we curse men. My brothers, this should not be. And that, if you followed this, if you know the book of James, or if you've been here over the last few weeks, you know that's something that James has said before. In chapter 1, chapter one verse 8, he speaks out against double-minded men. He hates hypocrisy in Christians. And guess what? God hates hypocrisy in Christians. And to make this point, what James does at the end here is that he draws illustrations again. But don't you just love them? They are everyday type illustrations. Do you see that? You know, James is concerned that the people he is writing to really dig it. 
You know, he, he's concerned that the people he's writing to really understand what he's talking about. So what does he do? He uses illustrations that they will understand, everyday type illustrations. Look at it. He speaks of fresh and salt water springs. He speaks of figs and olives and, 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 and grapevines, things that would be familiar to his readers. So what is he saying through these pictures? Well, we end with this. He is echoing our Lord Jesus Christ and what he's saying. That is what he's doing. Jesus says in Matthew 7, 16, By their fruit you will recognize them. He goes on to say, Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? He says this, A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. And a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. James, Jesus, they are on the same page. They are saying the same thing. They are saying that by our words, by our words, people will recognize the authenticity, the reality And the depth of our faith in Jesus Christ. By our words, people recognize how authentic your faith is. And I'll give you another quote. One writer says, our words are a barometer. A barometer for other people of our spirituality. See, this isn't complicated, is it? The theme tonight, the theme of this portion of scripture is plain. I'll read out the main theme again. It is of utmost importance for professing Christians to do what? Guard our speech. Guard our speech. See, with this question we'll finish. What is... What is our ultimate goal as believers? What is it that we are living for? We are living to glorify God, to win souls for Christ, to glorify God. And if we are loose with our words, if we are harsh with our words, that damages what we live for. So friends, let's ensure, let's go out into the world this week and let's go out ensuring that our words are not harsh. Let's talk gentle. Let's talk of the good news. And most of all, let's use our words to praise him. The one who graciously, by his word, gave us the message of salvation by the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray.